0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net.
1: Good morning, Heritage. How are you guys doing? Hey, guys. It's good to be back with you. Thank you for the grace to be away last week with my family. As you guys know, um, our family changed dramatically this week. And um, so thank you, by the way, so much. Thank you for that. Um, Thank you so much for, you guys have been like embarrassingly gracious to our family. And so I'm just really humbled and thankful. Um, For those of you that don't know, uh, my wife and I just adopted a five-year-old boy and we brought a a little guy named Bentley into our home. And so last week we were in Eugene um, doing the last of our visits and Bentley actually came home on Tuesday. So he's now been in our home. Amen. Amen. He's been now um, in our home for a few nights and now um, the exciting part has happened and now it's the hard part. Um, and and that's, that's normal with a five-year-old boy anyway, right? But, but we have a little boy that has physical abuse in his background, abandonment issues. He's been in 12 different foster homes in five years. Um, just all sorts of, of baggage that comes along with a little guy like that. So it's really hard. So um, if you would pray for my wife and I and our kids as we kind of navigate the storms that come with that... And, uh, and just pray for bonding and trust and all those things that would be incredibly, incredibly helpful to our family. Thank you guys for that, though. Um... We, we probably uh, won't have him around for a little while, just for those of you that are wanting to uh, meet him and everything like that. We're just trying to take some time to keep him sort of set aside with us to just bond. But look forward to introducing him to you in the near future. Um, I do have a couple of announcements. Um, this week on Wednesday night, the Awana program for the summer ends, and uh, the kids are going to be doing some stuff for us this week. So we want to encourage you guys to come on out and join with us in celebrating what the kids have done and learned, and, and uh, there's going to be worship and fellowship and ice cream and all kinds of stuff. We're just going to have a great celebration uh, with the little guys from our church and they're going to embarrass us by how much more scripture they have memorized than we do. Um, so that'll be humbling. So that'll be good for our souls. So, uh, please come and join us then if you would also first Wednesday is coming up next Wednesday. So throughout the summer for the first Wednesday of every month, we're encouraging you guys to come and join us for a big family gathering on Wednesday nights. We're going to really make a big deal out of this. We're going to have like taco trucks there and, and fellowship and food and, and all, I think we're having like, are we having ice cream? We are having ice cream. I guess we are now. We're having ice cream. I mean, all all kinds of things like that that are going to be there and worship and reading the word together. It's just going to be a really good time of just fellowship and gathering and worship. Um, Our our normal Wednesday night Bible study is temporarily on hold until it'll kick back in on September 7th with a new series going through the entirety of the Bible, uh, one book per Wednesday night. But there's going to be some remodel going on here and there's a lot of different stuff that's sort of hindering our ability and availability on Wednesday nights. so, we're trying to uh, push back against that in a different way over the summer. So, that will start out the first Wednesday of every month, which means our first one will be coming up here in just two weeks. So, uh, join us if you would there. Um, child care is provided for birth through fifth grade. There's going to be worship, food, stuff for the whole family. And it's just going to be a great, great time and a good time for us to get to know one another um, in new ways as well. Amen. So do me a favor, if you would, we're going to uh, turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up nice and high and wave it around or do some jumping jacks, whistle, whatever you got to do to get these two guys' attention and they will make sure that you get one. If you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. We pray that the Lord will use that to teach you more and more about his goodness and his grace. And we're going to be in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18 this morning. And I'm going to warn you guys in advance, this might be the most sloppy, disjointed, whatever you want to call it, teaching I've given in a while, or the Lord could be really gracious. We'll see. But um, it's been a hard week. Um, Beyond bringing this little boy into our home and the things that go along with that, a dear, dear, dear part of our congregation passed away last night in the middle of the night. I've spent the last few days in the hospital with the Holt family. If you guys know Jim and Willa Mae Holt. Um, Willa May went to be with the Lord last night and uh, so spending the time with, with them, with Linda Morrison, her daughter and, and all of them has just been a really special time. If you don't know the Holt's it probably means you either just don't know them by name but you would recognize them if you saw them or you're just newer in a sense because there was a time when Jim Holt would have been the guy to greet you at the door every single Sunday with a smile when you came walking in. But um, Willa May's health had prevented them from being able to come for a while, and so they are still part of the church. They just didn't make it to the building of the church. Amen. And um, so it's just been a privilege to be able to minister with them and a really special, I'm going to talk about it a little bit actually in, in just a few minutes, but it, it's been a, a heavy, hard week in a lot of ways. And I've talked with other people that have had that. Maybe your week was great, um, but, but we want to take an opportunity to stop right now and just pray that the Lord would just work through our own weaknesses, our own frailties, our own shortcomings, and that, that God himself would just minister this morning, wouldn't that be great? Like, forget what Jeff's going to do. Like, wouldn't it be great if like the spirit just came and ministered to us this morning? If like, if like you went home and you were like, that was God. That's what we want this morning. Amen. So let's, let's just bow our heads and ask for that. Lord, your word makes it really clear that apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing. And so, God, we're gathered here this morning, Lord, this remnant of your body, begging that you, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, would just be in this place. God, may you speak to us from your word. May you speak to us through your your servants. May you speak to us by your Spirit. I pray, God, that even now your spirit might begin moving through this place. May your spirit touch souls, awaken, Lord, understanding of you, hunger for you, appetite for you, awe of you. Lord, there are men and women in this room right now that have grown dull to you, that in our human frailty, church has just become a thing we do. And so, Lord, maybe we're here this morning out of habit, but, Lord, will you change that this morning? Will you help us to return, Lord, to our first love? Will you reignite an appetite for your word that's been waning? Will you again show us what's really important? Lord, others of us may be here because we're trying to impress you. Some of us, Lord, maybe. We're trying to make up for the things we've done this week, or like it's some sort of good luck charm because we need you in the week ahead. God, may you convict us of that, but gracefully to help us to understand that we, if we are in Christ, are in the perfect love of God, that we have your favor, Lord. What a gift your gospel is. And Lord, may that awaken a new desire to be with you. Not because we want something from you, but because of who you are. Lord, whatever our motives are, will you draw us to your heart? And God, none more than me. I am so aware of my own frailties and so afraid of my own motives. And so I pray, God, that your spirit would speak through a vessel such as me to your church. That you might teach us and grow us and bless us and make us more and more like you. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O my king, my rock, and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and God's church says. Amen. Amen. Turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians. And we're going to be picking it up in verse 12 today. All the way through verse 18. Six verses. That's a big chunk for me lately, so be encouraged. Philippians 1, verse 12 through 18. And God's Word says this. I want you to know, brothers... We're going through the book of Philippians right now. It's going to take us easily through the summer, I believe. Ephesians took a year, so we'll see what happens. But uh, here in the Book of Flea, this is my favorite book in the entire Bible. It has been a book that has, has challenged me and blessed me. It has become a tool in ministry for me. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one of the reasons that it's become so special to me is that um, we're gonna be going to Africa again here, probably around September, working on some dates right now to go spend some time with uh, the, the, the church that we are kind of partnered with there. It's Oasis of Hope Church in Imbarara, Uganda. And um, there's a lot of different mission places all mission works hard on some level, all of it's hard. Africa is like steroids hard. You know what I mean? Like nothing's easy in Africa. And and so what tends to happen is, is when every time we go to Africa and we bring a small group with us, um, you're flying for like the flight to London is 11 hours. The flight from London to Uganda is another nine. So it's a long, long way to get there. So you travel all this time to get there, you're exhausted, you're jet lagged, and then you get there and now you've got to take a bus another up to six hours to get to the city where the church that we work with actually is. It is not an easy place to get to. And then on top of that, taking a bus isn't always so simple either, as some who have come with me before know. We have spent the night on the side of the road, in the dark, in the middle of Africa, thinking every sound was a tiger or a terrorist. Waiting for people to fix our bus when the transmission exploded and all they have is a multi-tool. Like We've literally done that with guys walking around us with a rifle just to keep us safe. That's literally happened before. And so, so what ends up happening is when we get there, even if everything's going really smoothly, you have this experience at the beginning where, I mean, it's Africa, right? You're like looking around. You can't believe all this stuff that's going on. You got Paul Simon in your headphones, so it's like a soundtrack. Like everything's just perfect. And you're like looking around like, this is Africa. This is amazing. But that part starts to wear off. For me, it's usually around meal number two when the goat comes. It's just a hard place. And and almost every time without fail, as I've got a group there, I can look around the people that are there with me and I start to see this look in their eyes. You start to feel this countenance dropping and people going, man, this is hard and we are so far from home. And if you've ever been on the other side of the world like that, it's not just that you know you're some 15,000 miles away, but, but you also realize that just the time difference alone, like you can't even call home or check in until certain periods of the day. And that's only if reception's working at that time, and it makes you feel so far away. It's a weird feeling if you've never done it before, but it's very difficult. And what has happened time and time again is as we've gotten together one morning, it's usually around day two on every mission trip to Uganda that I've ever done, is we we huddle around and say, guys, let's just read Philippians together. Because we're having a hard time and it's difficult and we're feeling anything from persecution at times to everything's pushing against us. Like we're tired, we're exhausted, we hate the food, whatever's going on. And there, there always seems to be this time where we just kind of pull everybody together and this is the book we open inevitably every time. And we start reading through Philippians and I'm telling you what a work it does in your soul to remind you, ah, oh, this is why we're here. This is why it's hard. This is how we approach the hardness. This is how we deal with what's going on. And I'm telling you, it's an incredible blessing every time. And so it's become a really special book for me in that. And I think it's going to be a special book for our church moving forward through it. And we're going to be in verse 12 today. And it begins saying, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Here's why the book works in a morning like that when you're in Uganda. Because the book of Philippians deals with suffering and hardship. The whole point of the book of Philippians is when things are getting hard... For the sake of the gospel, what happens? Where is our hope? Who is our identity in? How do we approach it? What's our demeanor to be like? It deals with that hard subject of suffering, but not just suffering in general, so much as suffering for the cause of Christ. And so there's this approach to it where Paul is dealing with that. And he, he has, is the guy who has planted this church. Don't forget these are real people. This is a real church. It's not a fictitious letter or anything. These are real people he's writing to, and these are people that he knows. In our first sermon in this series, we looked at the history of that church, how it began, how it got off the ground, where some of the first members of that church came from, and we saw kind of its beginnings when Paul came through on one of his missionary journeys through that area. But, but now put yourself in these people's place. You are a new upstart church. And it's not, it's not like it is here. When we start another church, it's like, oh, hey, there's a church over there. And they're like, oh, another one? Or, you know, something like that. Like, oh, okay, it's church. We're used to church. There's always church. So we, we can try that church out, whatever. Not, there was no such thing as church. Like there was no church. This is a brand new thing. In this city that pushes against everything that's going on in this city. From religiosity to the, the, the imperial, like the, this idea of worship of the Roman emperor. It pushes against paganism. It's pushing against worldliness. It's pushing against everything that has ever existed in this city. It's brand new and it's the only one. And it's small. And so this church starts and they're looking around. Who are the experienced people that are in this church? You've got a, a, a fashionista A slave girl who used to be possessed by a demon and a former soldier. Like that's the best, that's the first three. Other than that, we don't even know much about anyone who's there at this church. But you don't have anyone who's like a church planning expert. You don't have anyone with like, oh, he went to seminary. You have none of that. You just have these people and the Spirit of God is pouring into them. And you have this guy named Paul who was the planter of that church who's writing to them. And encouraging them and teaching them and pouring into them we don't know how often Paul wrote them. Um, this is the one that has been preserved by God for Scripture. But in this particular letter, Paul's writing to them, and he, he gives us a little bit of his purpose in even writing to them. Because put yourself again in their place. You're about four years in or so. Paul hasn't been back around. The guy that kind of blew through town, got this whole thing started and gone, like you haven't seen him in like four years. And it's getting a little harder culturally to be a Christian. And then you start to find out, oh, Paul's where? He's in prison? A Roman prison? That that would start to to put some doubt in you, wouldn't it? Like you're in Roman province. You're in a city that is almost exclusively founded by Roman soldiers. And you find out that the guy that led your cause has now moved on and now he's in prison. And you're, you're hearing rumors about things that are going on culturally. Rumors of persecution. Rumors of all these things. Your leader's in prison. You don't know what's going on. And, and they're getting worried. And so Paul's writing to these guys to say, hey, I, I know you've probably heard some things. I want to kind of deal with what's going on with me and and let you guys know what's going on, but but it's really funny how he does it. He sort of does it by not doing it, as we're going to see this morning. So he says to them, I want you to know um, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul's going to mention over and over going throughout the rest of the letter, he's going to refer to imprisonment. And the parallel word word he'll use for that is chains, my chains, he'll refer to. And chains are put on someone to impend them, to hinder them, to keep you from going anywhere else. If you're put in chains, the purpose is to keep you here and keep you from getting there, wherever there is. And then Paul's saying, but here's the interesting thing. This thing that was was purposed to hinder has actually served to somehow advance the gospel. This thing that was supposed to keep back has served to advance the gospel. And he's going to go through and kind of detail sort of how that has happened. What does that mean, Paul advanced the gospel? And he starts out with... Something would be very familiar to the Philippians. If we can draw our memory back to Acts chapter 16 and the, 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 the origins of that church, you'll remember that when Paul comes in and he starts preaching the gospel, remember there was this demon-possessed slave girl coming around, causing a big ruckus, and Paul just literally gets annoyed by her, the scriptures say. And Paul turns around to her and casts this demon out. The Holy Spirit just rushes upon her. The demon is, is cast out of her. And what we know about this girl is that she had been used by these, these uh, uh, I guess you would say traffickers. And what they were doing is carrying this girl around. And she was telling fortunes so that they could make money off of her, this demonic activity that was happening in her. But now the demon gets cast out. And suddenly this, these guys, their source of income has gone. And they're not happy about it. So they go to the local authorities and they're like, this guy is coming around town. He's stirring everybody up. He's preaching all this stuff. And they're just complaining. And the next thing you know, Paul and Silas are in prison, thrown into jail after a trial. They've been beaten, put into stocks, which we talked about in our first week is not just like the whole medieval thing that you see, but it was literally something that would like cramp their body into like this awkward, difficult position. They're just left there being tortured in this prison. But what ends up happening? That night, the Holy Spirit, God moves with power on that prison, the whole thing is shaken, there's an earthquake, all the bars are bust open, the, the chains fall off, and they're free to go. And remember the guard who becomes the one of the founding members of the church as well. He draws a sword, he's ready to just off himself. Because he knows if he loses prisoners, then that means he has to take the prisoner's place or he'll be executed. And so he's just ready to just end it. I'll just off myself. And Paul says, no, 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 we're here. Paul, who had been worshiping Jesus, who had been proclaiming Jesus throughout the prison the entire time. When the walls come down, he doesn't leave. He stays and shares the gospel with this guy. And this guy sees this example and and just everything changes. So to the Philippians, the idea of Paul being in prison wouldn't be all that unusual, except for the fact that the walls aren't coming down in this one. Like the bars aren't opening and maybe they're wondering like, oh, he's in prison. Sweet. We'll hear any day now that like everybody's been converted and all this stuff and it's not happening. But Paul's still doing a very Pauline thing in prison because look what he says. It has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is the most frustrating prisoner in the world. The most, you cannot get him to stop. He won't shut up, and the more you try to make him shut up, the louder the proclamation of the gospel gets. I mean, oh, he's human. We read in Corinthians that there are Corinthians, Corinthians that there are times. That, that he struggled with, with fear, with depression, with these things. But, but the Spirit continually comes back and revives him. And Paul continues and continues. And no matter what they do, they keep trying to impede him. And yet the gospel just keeps advancing. And so now they've thrown him in a Roman prison. And he's been there for who knows how long. And is going to be there for who knows how long. How's it going, Paul? Everybody's hearing the gospel. It's great. Like, that's got to be incredibly frustrating. Like what? He's bulletproof. He's absolutely bulletproof. No matter what he does, he's like, I don't know, like a first century Ned Flanders almost. Like no matter what happens, he's just smiling and happy and just talking about Jesus constantly spreading the gospel throughout the prison. This thing that was intended to impede him is actually serving to spread the gospel, but it's not just this prison thing. It's not just that, oh, guys, things are great. I'm doing prison ministry from the inside now. It's fine. But, but the gospel advances even more than that. Take a look what he says in verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's he talking about here? He, he, in brothers, he's talking about other Christians, whether that be in Philippi or throughout the region or wherever he's writing letters to. In many of his letters, he wrote from prison and was encouraging people from prison. But he's writing, he's talking about the church and the spread of the gospel kind of globally at this point. And, and the reaction to people with Paul being in prison could have been a couple of different things. Um, first of all, there would have been some people that would be tempted to be ashamed of Paul. Because you want your leader to be exalted. We all want our leader to be exalted, right? How many of us already, I'm not going to try to get too political here, but how many of us already are scared to death about what the rest of the world thinks of America with the elections coming up, right? That's just the truth. I don't care what side you're on. That's just, that's what people are dealing with right now. We want our leader to be this powerful figurehead that we can look up to, that we can point people to, all of these things. And, and here's their leader, kinda, and, and he's in prison. He's being beat. He, actually, let's put it this way. He can't stay out of prison. That's even worse, right? Like, he's in prison again. And and not only that, when you look at Paul's life, and we'll look at some of this again in just a little bit, it seems like nothing's ever going smoothly for Paul. I mean, it's it's like the equivalent of being almost like a Cleveland Browns fan. (laughs) Nothing works out. We got our number one pick. And he's in rehab. Like that's how it goes for them all the time. And so so there would be a genuine temptation to be embarrassed by, to want to shy away from Paul as a leader. We know this to be a fact because in 2 Timothy 1.8, he writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He writes to Timothy, he says, don't be afraid of me. Don't be embarrassed. Don't shy away just because I'm in prison. He's encouraging this young guy who was obviously also being tempted to like, man, is this a guy I should even follow? I mean, look at the look at him. Like, follow him what? Look what he's done, man. He can't even take a boat ride without ending up on a desert island getting bit by a snake. And he's saying, So that would have been one of the temptations. People could shy away and go, eh, we need to find somebody else. This, this just isn't our guy. We tried that movement. Didn't work out clearly. Uh, but but also others could have feared that they were next. They could have been like, okay. Paul keeps saying things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then look at what he's doing. Look at where he's going. If this is our fearless leader, then what's he leading us to? And there would be a natural part of, of just the human condition that wants to say, I don't don't know if I want any part of that. I mean, Jesus taught that way, didn't he? I mean, even Jesus taught his apostles. He, He says this in John 15. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus warned. In fact, sometimes it seems like Jesus almost intentionally taught some of those hard things. As crowds started to gather, he would be able to discern what was in the heart of men. Are they coming around because they want Jesus? Or are they coming around because they want something from Jesus? Are they coming around because they want healing? Or are they coming around because they want the one who heals? And there's a gigantic difference between the two. And so when the crowds would build like that, it almost seems like Jesus would on purpose teach in such a way as to thin the herd. And the root behind both of these, whether it be the person that's like sort of ashamed of him or the person who's like afraid that we're going to be led into the same place of Paul, the root in both of those is the same it's pride. We want to be powerful, we want to be in control. We want to be comfortable because we serve ourselves and we want to love ourselves and we want to put ourselves up on a pedestal. And so, so really this whole book of Philippians pushes hard against this idea of our own comfort and our own prosperity and our own growth. But, but here's Paul planting the church, saying, don't be ashamed of me. The, the issue isn't Paul. Who's the real leader of the church in Philippi anyway? It's Christ, is it not? we're not going to be ashamed of Christ, are we? Paul's sitting in a prison cell. Christ is on the throne in heaven. And so Paul, as we're going to see, I don't want to give away too much next week. We're going to get into to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul is willing to do anything and everything as long as it points people, not to himself, but to Christ. And if being in a prison cell does it, praise God. Amen. Amen. And he's willing to endure that. And he's able to endure that. Oh, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I should back off a little bit before I spoil the next couple of weeks and you don't show up. But that, that's the idea. So, so here's this guy who has been imprisoned and chained. And yet his chains and his imprisonment appears to be inspiring the unchained. Because it says most of the brothers, not all of them, most of the brothers are seeing what's happening to Paul. And it's only making them more bold. It's only making them more and more want to speak. You would think it would be the opposite. That the better the ministry goes, the better Christianity appears to be going, the more, by our own worldly term, successful Christianity seems to be, then the more momentum it's going to gain. It's like this, man, jump on the bandwagon, look how good we're doing. It's just like uh, sports teams do this all the time. As a sports team starts to get good, people wanna get on board. A few years ago, you never saw anyone wearing a Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm picking on Cleveland hard today, right? Sorry about that, but oh well, but they're used to it. it, it no one would have ever been wearing a Cleveland Cavaliers jersey, ever. And then they get LeBron James, and now they're competing, and suddenly people are buying jerseys. Why? Well, they're successful. And they're winning. And people like winners. That's what they want. And so, all right, let's jump on the bandwagon. They start to build. And so you would think that that's what we need to do for Christianity. If we want the church to grow, we need to portray a successful, thriving church where everything's going well and we don't, we'll hide the failures, hide the struggles, we'll hire really good PR guys to play up all this kind of stuff. We won't be honest about our difficulties and we'll just talk about the vast successes. And that's not at all the way the church goes here, and yet it continues to grow. In fact, historically, this is the reality of the church. The church of Jesus Christ has always done its best under tension. Always. This is such a good lesson for the church of Jesus Christ today. Because we've had a really long period in America here of just no tension, really. We've gone through times where, for Christians, it was a business advantage for you. To have a fish logo on your business card or on your yellow pages ad or whatever the case may be like that would that was a good idea because doing so might cause you to get more business like that's what the world's been like for a really long time it's not it's not starting to look like that anymore is it it's starting to get a little more difficult it's starting to get a little harder. The, the idea of the post-modern, post-Christian worldview is absolutely in control right now. And so this idea of either keep your faith separate or shut up altogether because we don't want your faith. Your faith is completely invalid. Like those kinds of things are dominating the cultural landscape right now. But here's what we as the church have to know. Like it's so easy to see the difficulty come in and freak out. And yet... Historically speaking, when we look at the idea of tension and persecution and difficult in the church, it actually signifies most likely that the gospel is primed to make a big, big run. And I don't find it, uh, I I don't think it's coincidental at all that here in our own nation, at the same time when those sorts of post-Christian, post-modernism worldviews are on the rise, so is within the church a clarification of what the gospel actually is. It's as if the churches that are here now are getting primed for the fight. And that's good, church. It's good for us to end up in difficult positions where we have to really figure out what we believe and why we believe it. Just sitting with this family in church just this week, we were looking at the story of Lazarus. Did I say in church? Well, it was church, but in the hospital is what I actually meant to say. Sitting with this family, looking at this story of Lazarus where where Jesus' dear friend dies. You've got Mary and Martha and there's all this wailing because their brothers died. And all the the Jewish custom, you know, to have the professional wailers are there. And they're all mourning and mourning and crying. There's all this commotion going on. And they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, if you had just been here, none of this would have happened. If you had just been here, I know you could have saved him, but now he's already dead. And what does Jesus say to him? Don't don't you know that all things are, don't you know that I am the resurrection and the life? And he starts to push on them, but if you look really closely in that story, what he actually says specifically, he pushes on their personal belief. What do you believe? You you know that all who sleep are going to raise again. Do you believe this, Mary? Do you believe this, Martha? He starts to push on their belief. And then even when he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead, he says he's doing it not because Lazarus um, needs the help, but because they need the faith. And so he says, I'm doing this. He prays to the Lord right before he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I should have put the scripture up for you. I wasn't even planning to talk about this part. But, but he, he literally, before calling Lazarus out of the tomb, he says to them, doesn't he? He says to the Lord, so that they might believe. Lazarus, come forth. When there are difficult times, it serves us to have to stop and figure out, okay, man, it's getting harder. The rubber's starting to meet the road and I need to decide right now what I'm really living for, what I really trust, what I really believe. And am I really on board with this or am I going to choose to back off the tension? Because that's our temptation. Our temptation is when opposition starts to come, We want to back off of it. When things are hot and your hand's touching the stove and it gets hot, you want to take your hand off. You want to release the tension. That's what you're doing. But we can have a tendency to do this with our faith as well. So culturally speaking, we have things like whether it be the the debate over marriage and homosexuality and all those kind of things or whatever, whatever hot button topic there might be. And there's lots of them. And they begin to push. And so the temptation can be to go, okay, okay, okay. More and more people are getting upset about where we're preaching. There's tension. There's difficulty. What are we going to do? And some people can even justify it in good ways is to say, in order to reach those who oppose this issue with things that we might feel are more important, here's what we should do. We should just back off. Let's ease the tension here. Let's find a way to dull that sharp edge so it's not as abrasive. It's not as painful. It's not going to cause as much difficulty. And then we'll be able to move on and everybody's going to be okay. That's kind of the temptation that's there. But, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. This even happens within the church. There, there's even times where we've taken hymns or worship songs, and we've taken lyrics and go, you know what, that one's difficult. People don't like that. And, and I don't think that's a good idea. We need to relieve the tension in that. You guys know the hymn, In Christ Alone?, in Christ alone, my hope is found. There's a lyric in there. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. It says, until on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And there was a huge push within one of our major denominations here in our country to go, we gotta change that. We, we can't tell people there's a God who's angry at sin, who's wrathful. What we need to do is just talk about the love of God. Let's avoid this one part of it. And they literally did a cross denomination or within their own denomination, I should say, a multi-church movement and went to the authors of that hymn and said, we want to change the lyrics of your hymn. We wanna change it from the wrath of God was satisfied and make it say the love of God was magnified. And the authors of that hymn, praise God, said, no. no. Why, would we, why would we dull an edge that is so important to the doctrine of, of why we need to get saved in the first place? If we don't understand the fact that our sin has separated us from God, that our sin destines us for wrath, destines us for death, destines us for these things, then how do we tell people they need to be saved? What, what do we tell them they're being saved from? And so we as a church can find a human tendency that says, for the sake of our comfort, what we want to do is back off the tension. And Paul wants to encourage the people of Philippians throughout this book, as life's getting harder, as persecution's growing, as he's in prison, to don't, don't back off on the tension, guys, push in, lean in. Know what you believe, know what you're living for, know what's really important. Decide what it is that you're actually after and push in, but don't back off. I have a quote here, we'll put it up if we can see it on our lame video cameras, but John Newton says this, "'We are not to be discouraged by the carelessness "'or the obstinacy of those who know not what they do. "'We are aware of the difficulty, yea, the impossibility, of succeeding in our endeavor to save the souls of our hearers if we only to depend on our own arguments or earnestness. We are not to reason, but to obey. Our business is to deliver our message and in our happier moments to water it with our prayers and with our tears. When we've done this, we can do no more. The event must be left to him in whose name we speak. And then look what he says. We must not suppress or disguise what we are commanded to declare nor willfully make any additions of our own to accommodate it to the tastes or prejudices of our hearers. We need those who will be willing to speak the word of God as it is, who see the difficulty coming, and instead of shying away and going, okay, life's getting harder it's getting more difficult to believe. Our belief is pushing against now a growing belief that's out there. And so we got this tension we have to deal with. And therefore, let's find a way to soften it and to get around it. And let's just be different. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating some sort of hate mongering that just says, now we're going to go and beat people down with our Bibles. But, but we have to understand that God, the word says that mercy and truth uphold the throne. And to go with all mercy and no truth leaves people crippled. We need to be willing to say, look, it's not up to me to decide what things are hard and what aren't. My job is to just deliver the message of God, come what may. If if it becomes in my lifetime the kind of thing we're preaching the gospel is the type of thing that should land us in jail, then we have to get to the point where we understand the gospel is so valuable that we're willing to say, then so be it. I'll trust God with the outcome of that, but I've been given a task by my Lord to proclaim the gospel as it is. And so I'll do that with all the love in my heart because I'm not trying to win a fight, but win people over. But I won't let my comfort dictate whether I actually do this or not. I won't let whether the leader, if let's say that it's such a subpar analogy, but let's say Matt Chandler, the president of Acts 29, the network we're a part of, let's say he was in prison for his belief. So be it. If he's preaching Jesus, we'll keep, we'll, we will follow. But the idea being, man, I'm warned, our church, we've got, there's good times ahead for the gospel, even if there are bad times ahead for us. But what, what will we live for? Are we, are we going to live? Is our God comfort now? Like, like is the thing that we're after the comfort? It, it, it can't be. I mean, Paul knows this more than anyone, he's seen it all. He's been in the religious power seat where he was one of the chief religious leaders of all of Jerusalem. He was in the comfort seat, but he knows the emptiness that was in his heart. He knows the vanity that was there. He knows the wickedness that religion can lead to, and it led him to the point where he was murdering people. And then he's seen others. The slave girl in Philippi, Lydia, who had all the wealth and the comfort in the world, but was empty on the inside. She was looking desperately for an answer as to why to any of this. We have to decide what it is that we're going to live for. I, I want you to, we're, we're not going to break this part down. This is just like sneak preview. We're going to totally surprise our children's ministry because we're almost done. But, but I, want, I want you to just see where he goes with this and then we're going to break it down next week. He says this, Start again in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Read that verse with me, would you? Verse 21, for me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I want you to put yourself in Paul's position just for a second and think of the absurdity of what he's saying. It seems like nothing's going well. It seems like nothing is going well. He, here is a guy, let, let's just, just walk through some of it, for example. Listen to what he says here. When Paul came to Jerusalem, when Paul, all this started way back in Jerusalem. Paul comes into Jerusalem, he gets accused falsely, he gets thrown into prison. He's nearly lynched by a religious mob. He gets taken into prison by the Romans. He escapes a flogging only barely by pleading his citizenship as a Roman. Other floggings he would not successfully avoid. His case was a mockery of justice. He had all the rights in the world to a fair trial, but instead he's not able to secure a proper hearing. He goes through all sorts of mockery. He's misrepresented. He's shamed. He survives a plot against his life. Then he gets kept in prison for longer and longer simply so the powers that be can collect money and have good rapport among the people. And then even then it wasn't over. Finally, he's going to get moved to Rome so that he can go and have the trial he's been waiting for forever. And in the, sh- in the ship, what happens? I mentioned it before. There's a shipwreck. He gets deserted or uh, stranded on a desert island. And that's not bad enough. Then a venomous snake bites him like everything just keeps going bad eventually he gets taken to Rome where he's bound up in chains while he's in Rome there even there even in Rome as a Roman citizen he's struggling to get a trial this is not like America this is not like us where we just we know our time frame we know when we get our trial just wait and see it's nothing like that he's in there for who knows how long and he just keeps waiting and trying to get a trial and asking for it nothing's ever happening he finally this case would end up getting dragged out for over 2 years with no promises he doesn't know if he's going to live or die, be heard or not. Doesn't know any of this kind of stuff. And at the point that he's writing this letter, think about where he is. He's still in jail. He's still unheard, he's still unseen, he's still waiting. He's in a I mean this isn't like there's no cable in this prison. Like he's still waiting and All the while, he's getting reports that there's people back there as as part of the movement that he's helping push that are already fighting just to replace him. He's like, there's some people that are preaching the gospel for good reasons. There's other people that they're actually fighting for bad reasons. They're, They're literally going, oh, Paul's out of the way now. It's my turn to lead. I don't know if you know this about pastors. We are absolutely as jealous and prideful as any other group of people you will ever meet in your life. I'm not joking. You go to any pastor's conference anywhere, and all you ever hear from people when you meet them is, how big is your church? 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 It's insane, but it's true. And and after any teaching, when anyone is up there on the stage, you either hear pastoral worship, oh, that guy is the greatest thing ever, or man, he totally missed. And there becomes this whole criticism thing that's laid out. Pastors are a horrible bunch. There's an actually an an old Irish tale where an Irish farmer told his pastor, you pastors are like dung. And he said, dung. And he said, yeah, spread out. You're okay. But when you get a bunch of you together, you just, you just stink. That was literally written for pastors. This is the honest to goodness truth. And, and so here, anytime you have a leader in a powerful position and he's removed, there's this vacuum that's created. And so you've got guys that are rushing to try to feel like, here's Paul in prison and these guys are, forget Paul, they're like, me, I'm next. And yet even in that, Paul's like, man, but the gospel, they're not even preaching it for good reasons, but they're hearing the gospel. Now now think about something. This is the absurdity of this. Why is he writing the church of philippi in this this specific paragraph that we've been looking at verse 12 again says what i want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel he's writing to tell them hey here's what's going on what's the thing he never talks about what's going on he never really talks about prison he never really talks about the persecution. He never really fills them in on the story. He doesn't really cover any of that kind of stuff. He just gospel, 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 gospel. I mean look what he writes. Chapter one, verse three, we have a partnership in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 7, the confirmation, the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, advance the gospel. Verse 16, defense of the gospel. Verse 26, let your life be worthy of the gospel. Verse 27, we're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 22, he served me with the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 3, we labored side by side with me in the gospel. And on and on and on and on and on. The reason that Paul can do this, the reason that Paul can have joy in the midst of difficulty, the reason, like, we wouldn't do this, right? Think about all the social media. When, when stuff goes bad, we can't get it online fast enough. Those people hadn't even got out of their wrecked car yet. They're like, uh-oh, bad day, hashtag crash, hashtag uh, like a good neighbor, hashtag, whatever the case may be, right? <laughs> hadn't even got out of the car yet. Because for most of us, when the chips really, when the tension comes, our tendency is we wanna serve self because we're after self and we're about self. But Paul has learned, as we'll dissect big time next week, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The only thing worth living, Paul would say, is Christ. And to die is better. Paul's a gospel man we got lots of church men. I don't know that we have lots of gospel men. And I'm not dogging our church. I'm just saying culturally. Lots of church people. Not as many gospel people. And the thing that happens is as cultural tension with the church comes, you start to separate out those who are gospel men and those who aren't. And that's what's happening in our culture, actually, actually. More and more and more in the polls, people are checking none of the above for religion. Used to, people just say Christian in their mind, and even meant just American, frankly. And overseas, they still think that. In Africa, they think everyone in America is a Christian. But then the tension comes, and it starts to separate, if you will, the wheat from the chaff, if we can use a religious example. And here's Paul, who's having everything in his life stripped away. There's no more prestige, there's no more power, there's no more wealth, there's none of these things. He's got people fighting for his positions of wealth. He's in a prison, he doesn't know if he'll ever get out of. He still hasn't gotten his case heard and he doesn't know what the outcome of that's gonna be. Probably not good because his goal is to preach the gospel in front of Caesar, which means, by the way, you're not God and you shouldn't be worshiped anymore. Odds are that won't go well. And and here's Paul that could say, guys, I rejoice, I rejoice. Again, I will rejoice. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and so church, I just want to close out with this. Listen, I, I just spent four days with this family, watching as one of their beloved saints passes away to go to be with Jesus forever. And, and I'll tell you, what I saw, I'm not even worthy to have seen. It was special and it was beautiful and it was amazing. Jim and Willa May, they would kill me if they knew I was talking about this Willa May is already like so Lord I know there's no anger in heaven but when Jeff gets here what can I do but married for 63 years what would have been 63 in like two weeks actually And there were these moments in this room that I couldn't hold the tears back. I'm I'm watching this guy lean over his bride in her weakened condition and weep with her and whisper into her ear, put lipstick on her, kiss her, dote over her, love her in a way that is just absolutely stunning to me. And you're talking about a family that has been through it all from the heights of financial success to the lows of market crashes. They've been through all of it. And in that moment, I'm telling you right now, I didn't hear anybody talking about money. I didn't hear anybody talking about success. I didn't hear anybody talking about comfort. I didn't hear any of that. Even in their own family, which their family is such a model. Like I want to finish like that is what I was looking at. But even in that, there was tension, there was family issues, every family has them, even in that. But the one thing there was never a regret mentioned on, that there was never a fear, there was never anything negative that came up was, was the reality of her faith in God and the fact that they will be with her again. And it was beautiful. Like we sat yesterday morning for hours, just singing songs. You guys know Linda? I mean, that alone is a gift to hear Linda Morrison singing hymns and and then the whole family, they they can all sing. It's like five part harmonies, it was insane. I love you, Sam, it was better. (laughs) And then I'm like reading passages in between and we all had tears and it was beautiful. It was like, it was heaven for just a little minute right there. And I'm just telling you right now, that's what you're living for. That's what you need to be living for because nothing else you live for will ever bring you the kind of peace that Willa May Holt had as she went to go see her Lord and nothing else will actually get you to your Lord and maker than that kind of faith. Paul can lay in prison with everything else falling down all around him. I mean, just think about it. Paul doesn't even know how successful this movement's even going to be moving forward. For all he knows, the Yehus fighting for his position are going to just nosedive the whole thing. And yet he's there. I rejoice. I rejoice. There is joy in this because I know I'm a gospel man. I know my failures. I know that Christ came because of my failures. I know Christ died for my failures. I know Christ rose to triumph over my failures. And I know he's bringing me home. So to live now for him, I'm in. He's worth it. And if I should die in this prison and rot away, doesn't matter. It's better because I'll be with him. In church, that's got to be us. That's got to be us. I'm going to ask Sam to come up and, and close us in a song, but I want to push on you guys just a little bit. And Maybe this is just the result of the fact that Jeff's had a heavy week, whatever, deal with it. But this is what we're going to do for just a second. Like, do you believe? Like, but do you believe? Because th- right now you might be in one of those places of total comfort. But I could point you to all kinds of people in this very room that went from that place of comfort like that. It was chaos in their life. You're not above that. I mean, Jesus says, The servant's not greater than the master. Any one of us, though we don't want to think about it, any one of us could get the phone call today that changes everything for us. And when that call comes, will you be shaken? Will you be able to survive that storm? Is your faith firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Or is this just a habit, a custom, a game, a good luck charm, or something mom drugged you to? I just want to push on all of us for a minute, as Christ would push on those who are going through difficulties in the scriptures. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. No, 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 no. Do you believe? Will you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Father, we need gospel men like Paul. And my guess would be very few of us in this room feels like that's who we actually are. And so Lord, maybe by your grace, this is a morning where your Holy Spirit's come into this place to do some heart work for us to remind us of what we're all about, of why we're here. And so I pray, Lord, even in this time, as we just take a moment to, to seek you on our own, will you point out, Lord, the inconsistencies in our life? Lord, will you grant us repentance of sin? But more than anything, God, if there's anything in our life that we are banking on or living for, that is anything other than you, Jesus Christ. Lord, will you point that out and help us to take that idol down, Lord? Lord, if there's people here that are going through difficult seasons right now, may they be able to have joy restored to them, not because of circumstance, but because of our Savior. And Lord, in this room, I know that there are people, Lord, who have not, have not believed. They have not been saved. They have not been reborn. And Lord, for them as much or more than anyone, I pray, God, that your spirit would move, that they would feel nervousness even in their heart and soul at this moment, that there would be a burning in them, and that you would grant them the grace, Lord, to respond to your grace. So, Lord, will you minister to your people at this time? We're gonna take just a minute as Sam just plays some music before he leads us into this next song. And I just want you to pray. I just want you to seek the Lord for your own heart. Don't pray for anyone else in this room. You pray for you. And, And if you're not a believer, this is the time to do some heart search. Ask him, go to him. Lord, are you real? Ask him. But don't miss this opportunity. Seek the Lord with all your heart. The word tells us if we seek him, we will find him. the Lord do you believe in his gospel do you believe that our sin has separated us from God but that Christ has come that Christ came lived perfectly dwelt human flesh did everything we could not that on the cross the wrath of God was satisfied that Christ did take the punishment due us that he took the penalty for our sin that he was separated from God That he was dead Buried But on the third day rose again That he triumphed over sin Over death, over Satan He is now ascended into heaven He is preparing a place For those who follow him He is our advocate before God Our savior and our friend And somehow For those who believe our joint heir Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you do love the Lord, because how could you not? Sam led us in this this hymn just earlier. Let's sing this with me.
2: I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O. soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your with your eyes still closed and your head's bowed, let me ask you,
1: why did you sing that? It is a scary thing to confront our motives. Paul talks in his text against those about those some are pastoring for good reasons and some who are pastoring out of pride, and I'll tell you personally, that is a terrifying thing for me to examine in my own life. So why did we sing that? Was that just because you're at church and the guy on the stage said to? Are we pretending? Was that playing church? Or do we believe, know, and love? If that's not the case, you don't have to sing. But God, I pray for us that that would be the case. That God, you would enlarge our capacity to love you. And I know, Lord, that that only comes by our understanding more and more of how much you love us. So God, we pray that your spirit would be in this place even right now. That your Holy Spirit, the same one that was in Paul, would be in this place right now to fill our hearts, to fill our souls. To infuse our worship and that we might sing to you with genuine, unashamed love
2: love I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you oh my soul rejoice Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in you. Then sings my soul. Then sings my soul. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. So
1: Lord, may Your Spirit now empower us to carry the love of God outside the walls of this building. Lord, may we care for the sick, feed the poor, comfort the hurting, share with the lost, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep from living for comfort, but to live for our King. And may you be glorified in all that is done. May you be our rock and our foundation. So may you empower your church this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Go carry the love of Jesus outside this place.